Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. 13th chapter of John's Gospel. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying your Word together. And as we do, we invite the Holy Ghost to teach us and to lead us and to guide us into all truth. We also thank you for His enlarging our capacity to receive revelation knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and ability of all the things that pertain to life and godliness. We set ourselves to receive from your Holy Word, our hearts to be receptive, our ears to be attentive, and our minds to be open. And we say that we will, dear Father God, be quickened by your Word, and we will rise up as doers of your Holy Written Word, dear Father God, not hearers only. And we'll walk in the light of it. We thank you, dear Father God, for all that's accomplished in our midst. We give you glory for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, we've spent quite a long time teaching along the lines of God's love for us. How many of you know that God loves you? If you don't know that by now, something is desperately wrong. If you've been sitting through all these teachings for the last couple of months and you don't know that God's love for you is absolutely, positively overwhelming, you must have been either daydreaming or (laughs) I don't know where, you know, out to lunch somewhere or something. But God loves you. Do you know God loves you? And He loves you with an overwhelming love? And His love is so overwhelming it staggers the human mind, doesn't it? How can anyone love anyone so much? Well, Jesus Himself said, greater love hath no man than this. That a man laid down his life for his friends. And so we've been loved with a love that is so overwhelming it staggers our mind. God couldn't possibly love us any more than he does. And that means a lot. And he demonstrated that love. By sending his son to die for us. Who bore the penalty of our sin. Paid the price of our separation from God. I tell you, God is just so good. Well, we also talked about the fact that if he didn't withhold Jesus then He'll not withhold anything from us. God's Word says in Psalms 84:11 that God is a sun and shield who gives grace and glory, and no good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. He loves us so much, he gave us, he gave us the greatest gift. And now with Him, He freely gives us all things, the Bible says. Isn't that true? But we also saw that these gifts and benefits and promises of the gospel are not automatically experienced. They have to be received. Even though God gave Jesus to you, You don't experience the reality of Jesus in your life until you receive Him as Savior. Isn't that true? You've got to receive Jesus in order to be saved. And although the gift was given, Jesus, the gift of eternal life, unless one receives that gift, he doesn't experience the reality of salvation, the new birth, the born-again experience. And that's true with everything that's been provided in redemption, whether it be healing or deliverance or financial assistance or help or strength. Whatever it is that we need has got to be received. And we talked about that. We talked about how God has given and is always in the process of giving. He is continually giving unto his own. But they have to receive the full benefits of the cross. And we do that how? By faith. And if we develop our faith to its fullest potential... What did Jesus tell us? All things are possible to him that believeth. Isn't that true? And Goodspeed's translation of that is everything is possible for him that has faith. 
And so you see, faith has a big place in our lives, our spiritual lives. Because all that we need from God is received by faith. And so it's essential that each of us develop his own faith by going to the Word of God, finding out what God says, and then schooling himself into believing what God says. It's called the process of reprogramming ourselves. Getting our minds renewed to the Word of God. Feeding upon it until it becomes a living thing on the inside of us. Well, in John's Gospel, chapter 13, we get to a place that I've been wanting to get to for a long time. If God so loved us, if God so loved us, you know how much God loves you now. You know the length, the breadth, the depth, the height of His love for you. If you've been in these studies, you know how much God loves you. You know what it meant for Him to lay down His life and to give His Son. You know all that. Well, if He loved us so much, we owe it to Him to lay down our lives for the brethren. And to love one another as He loved us. Not as people love us. But to love one another as He loved us. We are to love each other with the same kind of love that He loved us with. And you'll see that that has an important part to play in your faith life and as far as you're receiving from God. See, there's another law. Faith is a law of God that's universal and inflexible. You've got to receive by faith if you're going to receive from God. James said that. Without faith, you're not going to receive from God. If you waver and doubt in your mind, what did he say? The double-minded man is unstable. And let not that man think he's going to receive anything from the Lord. Isn't that what it says? So that's an inflexible law. It's, it's the law ordained of God. It's the law of faith. And we've got to learn how to develop our faith lives if we want to receive and experience the full blessings of the, of the gospel. Well, there's another law. And I'll get into it a little bit later. But just very briefly... It's the love law, and in actuality, our faith is energized by love. If we really want our faith to work, then we have to understand the place that love holds within the human heart. And that's why we want to begin discussing this, because it's, it's essential and it's imperative to our spiritual health and well-being. And also to the health and well-being of our faith, which is so important, because without faith you can't be saved. Now, in John's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. That ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now, if you just look at that word love and define it. According to our own definition of love, then we just look at that word and just go over it very briefly and quickly and just think, well, yeah, we're supposed to love each other like God loves us and all that. But do we really know what he's saying there? Do we have any in-depth understanding of what he's talking about there? The word there for love is agape or agapa or agapao in the Greek and it's a, a, a word that should have never been, as far as I'm concerned, translated into L-O-V-E in the English language. It should have been left agape or agapa, agapao or agapa. It should have been left like that with a little explanation beside it. 
Because you see, in our language, what we do is we say, we love popcorn. We love animals. We love whatever. And we love our wives. We love our husbands. We love candy. We love ice cream. We love cookies. And we kind of put it all together and make no distinction as to what we're really saying. We should kind of like these other things and really love our wives, right? A lot of amens. I told you I'd get out of this one. (laughs) You guys need to love your wives, even if it takes them a long time to get ready. (laughs) What he's actually saying here is that when... When God demonstrated His love for us, He introduced the world to a kind of love that the world never knew. A new kind of love. A love that transcends all other forms of love. A love that supersedes any type of human love that can possibly be demonstrated or displayed. Man in his fallen state is incapable of understanding Or knowing this new kind of love. It can only be seen in what God did to redeem us. We talk about this. God loved us so much. God agape if you will, us so much. See, just get that love out of there. Really, it would have been better to say cherish. That would be a better rendering of it. God cherished us so much. See, God agape'd us. So much, he became a man. Can you imagine that? And then he says, I'm supposed to love you the same way he loved me. It's unconditional. He loved me so much, he agape, he cherished me so much, he took my sin nature upon himself, went into hell and suffered there for me. That staggers the mind right there. Your mind just shuts down. Wow. Would anybody do that? Well, the Bible says scarcely would one die, even for a righteous man. But God loved us so much, while we were yet sinners, He died for us. That's overwhelming. It's beyond thought. I mean, when I think of love, it's easy to love somebody that loves you. They walk up to you and say, you're so sweet and you're so kind. I just love you so much. You know. And then you say, well, you're just so sweet back, you know, and all that. Just, just, just loving each other that way. But how about someone come along and says, well, you ugly thing. I like to knock you right in the head. And you say, oh, you're so sweet too. I just love you so much. Is that what you do? <laughs> See, the, the world hated God, but God loved the world. The world hated God, but God agape the world. The world hated God, but God cherished the world. And so God, in His great, awesome, overwhelming love, agape, demonstrated His agape for us by dying for us and doing all that He did for us to redeem us from the fall. And now in turn, He says, now, you are to love each other the same way. You know, husbands, you're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Define that for me, brother. It doesn't need definition. It means lay down your life unconditionally. 
You say, I don't know if I'm going to like this series. <laughs> you better get to like it. <laughs> Amen. Did you hear that? Because that verse doesn't say, and this is my suggestion. Does John 13, 34 say, this is my suggestion? What does it say? This is my commandment. My commandment. Mm -hmm. So in other words, we are commanded of God to love humanity with the same kind of love, this agape, that loved the world. Now I have to ask this question, how can I do that? If all I know is this lower form of love, this what we call love. Basically, in the world, we have sexual attraction, and we call that love. That's eros, the lowest form of love. We have this storgy kind of love, which is a type of compatibility. Well, you like pizza, I like pizza, I'm in love. <laughs> compatibility. We're compatible with each other, you know. And then you have that wonderful thing called phileo love, which is the highest form of human love in the Greek, as, as revealed by the word phileo, which is a, a responsive type of love. And as I said before, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. I love you and you love me. But if I knock you in the head, will you love me back or knock me in the head back? See, it's responsive. It responds to whatever. You holler at me, I holler at you. You blow me a kiss, I'll blow you one. Do you see? It's responsive. And as long as the person is, is doing good to you, then it's easy for you to do good back to the person. But if the person, you know, gets a little bit upset or whatever, then all of a sudden we want to respond to that type of emotional outburst. And so this thing at the beginning called love, I really love you. If it's phileo, it's responsive. Well, when I married you, I was in love with you. And by definition, we really mean I was really sexually attracted to you. Physically attracted to you. I found you beautiful. And, and we based our marriage on what? On the physical part of what we call love. And you see, many do that. But they don't realize that there is a deeper love than that. There is a need to be physically and sexually attracted to each other. And that is a form of love. But it's the lowest form of love. There is a need to be compatible with each other. That's important too. And if there's incompatibility in people's life, they need to get those things worked out. And there is a need to be responsive to a degree. You know, if someone says, I love you, you say, I love you also. You know, and, and continue to keep that in a marital relationship. But, beloved, that's the highest form of natural human love. And when that fails, beloved, that's not enough. You've got to have a higher form of love, a higher type of love. And that love is agape. It's divine love that he wants us to love each other with. It's the same kind of love that loved the world while the world was not loving him. It is unconditional, it is aggressive, and it's not responsive as such as phileo is. You know, it's always giving. So it's always the, the aggressor, it's always pouring itself out to care for the other person, regardless of what that person is doing to him. So this kind of love is aggressive, it's unconditional, and it's not basically based on feelings or emotions. Now, feelings and emotions can be included in it, but this kind of love is based on principle. It's founded on principle. 
I love you with this love of God. Now, how, though, can I love people with this kind of love if I don't possess it as a human being? Well, that would be a dilemma, but God took care of that. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, you'll see it. Turn there with me, please. If I don't have it and no unregenerate human being has agape love, I'll say that again. No unregenerate human being has agape love. Everyone outside of Christ has lower forms of love, but not the highest form of love in their lives. This new kind of love came into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. He brought that love into the world. He demonstrated that love. He acted out that love. And He loved us with that love. And continues to love us with that same kind of love. But in Romans chapter 5, there's also another thing that took place. Look at verse 5 of Romans 5. And hope make it not ashamed because the love of man... You're alert tonight, aren't you? Doesn't say that, does it? But the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. And Weymouth's translation says it this way. The love of God has flooded our spirits, absorbed us, and taken us over. In other words, when we were born again, we received a brand new nature. The nature of God, and God is agape. God is love. This divine love of God was shed abroad. Or this divine love of God flooded our spirits. It took us over. God made this deposit of His divine love, His agape, into our spirits when we got born again. And now he says, I have given you this kind of love. I have loved you with it. And now I have made you one with my love. I have imparted my love into your spirit being, into your spirit nature. And my commandment is to do what? That you love each other with that kind of love. That is the commandment of God. You see, the love commandment of the New Testament takes in all the other commandments under the Mosaic Law. Those ten commandments are fulfilled in one commandment in the New Testament, and that is that we love with divine love. Because when one loves with divine love, one puts the Lord as God first. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your whole, whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and all that. You have no false gods. You don't lie. You don't want to cheat and steal. You don't want to kill. Bear false witness. All those things are fulfilled in one commandment, the commandment of love. And so when God made this deposit, He knew that love shed abroad in our heart would enable us to rise up above it all. And in that one commandment of love, we can fulfill the Mosaic Law. And that's why under the New Testament, we're not under the Mosaic Law or Ten Commandments. We're under the commandment to love with divine love. But notice, God provides the love wherewith we are to love one another. And whereby we are to love one another. So He gave it to us. Say this with me. I have, I have shed, abroad shed abroad in my heart, in my heart the, very the very divine love of God that loves, me. that loves me. See, we have that in us right now. And it becomes more of a reality to us as we acknowledge it. 
So along with the new birth comes new life and also this brand new love that we are to love each other with. Now look at 1 John and we'll see it revealed again. 1 John chapter 3. And basically this will just be an introduction introducing us to these things we want to talk about with regard to divine love. In 1 John chapter 3, look at verse 14. Let's start there. We know that we have passed from death unto life. How many of you know that you are already passed from death to life? You know that you're born again. How do you know that? How do we know that? See, how can someone know that they're a born again child of God? Well, in actuality, we have revealed to us in the Word of God different ways. Number one, and if you're not familiar with it, you might want to write it down. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 16... It tells us that we have the witness of the Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. For the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. God's Spirit bears witness to my spirit. I know I became a child of God because I had a witness on the inside. When... In the beginning, when God was dealing with my spirit, I knew I was not born again. I was not a child of God because of a gut feeling on the inside. Can you relate to that? Before I became a child of God, I had a gut feeling. I was in church. You know, I went to church. I went to a school that I had to go to church a lot. And I went through all kinds of things, religiously speaking. But on the day that I was consciously aware of that I was under conviction... I knew here on the inside, I'm lost and on my way to eternal destruction. How do you know that? I just knew it on the inside here. I was consciously aware of my unregenerate state. I didn't know a whole lot about salvation, didn't know a lot about redemption, didn't know anything about the Bible. But I was under a deep conviction from the Spirit of God that I was lost. And if I would die, I would depart from the Lord and, and be apart from Him forever. And it was a frightening thing on the inside. See? And I would cry out at night. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. And I believe God heard me and sent labors across my path. And they gave to me the Word of God. See, He'll, be, he'll continue dealing with you. I thank God He never gives up. Amen. And even when they came dealing with me about being born again, I said all kinds of stupid things because I was religiously taught. Amen. Not New Testament taught. I said, they're a bunch of Jesus fanatics, they're a bunch of lunatics, they're a bunch of all this and all that. And yet I'm, I go to bed that same night crying out, I don't want to go to hell, I don't want to go to hell, I don't want to go to hell. Someone come along and say, you must be born again. I say, you're crazy. I don't want to go to hell, I don't want to go to hell. Someone's trying to tell me how not to go to hell, I'm telling them they're crazy. I'm going to bed at night crying out. Doesn't make any sense. We think we know what we want, and yet when someone tries to deliver it, we don't want to sign for the package. Does it make any sense? doesn't make any sense, does it? Well, you see, it makes sense if you know that you're bound by darkness. And the devil blinds your mind so that you don't get the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And then when you come into the light, see, it's a whole different picture. You see it differently. Well, there I was crying out. I wanted to have the light of the knowledge of God. I wanted to be saved. See, but I would say all these, these things. Well, I'm going to tell you something. When I got saved, no one had to tell me. That Christ was inside my heart. You know why? First, I had the witness of the Spirit. I was a child of God. 
And that means something down here on the inside said yes. I don't know how else to say it. That ugly feeling that you have when you know that it's, it's, it's wrong, something is wrong, is like washing your feet with your socks on. Did you ever try that? That's an ugly feeling, isn't it? It just doesn't seem, seem right. But when on the inside you know that it's so, there's a witness of the Spirit and a release. And that witness on the inside, there's this wonderful velvet-like feeling on the inside that you know, that you know. I'm a child of God. I know it right here. Man, no, you're not. This, this preacher tried to tell me that I wasn't born again because it didn't line up with his doctrine. He couldn't convince me I wasn't a child of God. I knew I was, when I served the devil, I knew I was not a child of God. When I became a child of God, I knew I was a child of God. And all his doctrine wasn't to talk me out of it. Because on the inside, I had a witness of the Spirit that I became a child of God. And that's how I knew I was a child of God. Now, here's a second way you can know you're a child of God. Right here in 1 John three fourteen. We know we've passed from death to life because we go to church. Whew, that's a bad translation. We know we've passed from death to life because we do good works. We know we've passed from death to life because we do not smoke. We know we pass from death to life because we do not drink. Hmm. Let's try to get this correct. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. There is something about the person that gets born again. Let me tell you this. You have the witness in your heart. Let me tell you something else. The world becomes a better place. But the world doesn't change. The world is the same. But all of a sudden, you see it differently. All of a sudden, the trees are more beautiful. The flowers become more fragrant. All of a sudden, human beings actually look good. People look good. They look different. What's going on with me? God's love has been shed abroad in your heart and you're seeing the world through the eyes of His love. And now, rather than condemnation and rather than criticism and rather than judgment, you have mercy and you have compassion. And you love them with the love of God. And even though everybody else tells you, man, don't take that from that person and don't, you shouldn't take... Something inside you says, just walk in love. Just walk in love. Just love him with my love. And you see, you kind of wonder, how can I love that person? How can I be kind to that person? And you just reach down deep on the inside of you. And you know, there it is. That's why. Because of the love of God that's shed abroad in my heart. I love them. I don't love what they do or what they did, but I love them. Because most, mostly they know not what they're doing. But I love them. You've passed the test. You've passed from death to life and you know it because of this great love you have in you. Even when they're not loving you, you can still love them. Isn't that wonderful? And it's not a phony love. It's a genuine love that you have. For humanity and people. Because you see, you're hooked up with Him now. 
And you're starting to see the world through his eyes. You're starting to see humanity through his eyes. You know, his eyes are full of compassion. His compassion, you know, is over all of his works. He loves humanity. And even the vilest sinner out there, you know, he loves them. You ever stop and wonder how he can love Nineveh? I mean, Jonah was sent to go tell the people of Nineveh to do what? Repent. Can you understand this? These people were skinning alive the Israelites. Just skinning them. They were torturing those people like you wouldn't believe. They were so ungodly in, in their idol worship. I mean, we're talking about a disgusting display of human mentality. Thinking of ways to hurt people like you wouldn't even imagine. You know, we've been protected from a lot of that in our society. I'm telling you, it's ugly out there in other, wor- in other lands, other parts of the world. It's ugly out there what people do. And they did the most horrendous things to humanity. And you know, Jonah didn't want to go. He did not want to go. And why didn't he want to go? He said, he said I, I know if I go and tell them to repent, you'll forgive them. I want your wrath to be upon them. I want them dead. I want you to kill them. I want you to pull their teeth out one at a time. I want you to pluck out their eyes. Right? right. And so he takes off into another direction. See? I'm going to tell you something right now. The love of God has been shed abroad inside your heart by the Spirit of God. And just as God forgave the the Ninevites because they repented, he wants us to forgive each other. He wants us to love each other. He wants us to see each other through different eyes. And I tell you, He gives us the ability to do that by His love that's shed abroad inside our hearts. Sometimes we wonder, how can we things, especially over a long period of time? You know, bad situations, in some situations, marital situations and that sort of thing. How can we put up with it? I'll tell you, you're not doing it in your own strength. It's the love of Christ that's constraining you. And that means it's the love of Christ that's gained control over your life. And, and, you know, and others may criticize you for that, but I'll tell you what, you just be like the Apostle Paul. Amen. And so you may think I'm mad and beside myself. <laughs> and maybe I look that way to you from the, from the outside. All right. But you know what? It's the love of Christ that controls me. Amen. It's gaining ascendancy in my life. It's controlling my actions and the things that I do are born of God's love. And really, you've got to just kind of put yourself in, in with God's love and just, 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 just make certain that you're going to walk in it. If it. Regardless of what anybody else does, you're going to live in it. You're going to walk by it. Your life is going to be ruled by it. Because I'll tell you, the majority don't want to do this. Amen. Let's read on. We know that we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death. If there is not a time when you've experienced this genuine love deposited inside your spirit, making, enabling you to see the world through different eyes, and especially humanity. And why I say especially humanity, because man is the crown of God's creation. And man is the object of his love. And Christ died for the whole world, regardless of, of how they're tagged, what they are in life, their social status, their religious beliefs and all that. God loves the world. Isn't that true? He loves everybody in the world. And when you get hooked up with God's love, you're going to start loving people that you didn't think you could love before. You'll see beyond what they do. And you'll see an eternally lost spirit. 
you'll see some spirit being that's doomed to damnation for eternity. And something inside you will be triggered off. And there will be a compassion that will rise up inside your being that will enable you to see that horrendous state that they're in. And you'll just begin to love them with this love of God. You know what breaks down the barriers that separates man from God? It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It's not the browbeating of men. It is the goodness of God. It's not the criticisms of men. It is the goodness of God. And when I put myself in a place to be God's channel of His love, His compassion, His mercy, and His grace, that love flows out from me. And I guarantee you, it will open up those blind eyes. Those eyes that have been blinded by darkness and people will begin to see. Is this really what God is like? I thought God was up there with some whip. I thought he had his little button waiting for me to sin. When I sinned, boom, he pushed that button. I'd go straight to hell. No. On the other hand, God's this way. He's wanting you to repent. He's wanting you to come to Jesus. He has done everything to get you to that place and point, And he's not going to give up on you. He's up there loving you with an overwhelming love that's beyond your even uh, your mentality, your understanding, your ability to comprehend. And if he's going to push any button, it's going to be when you've repented, you've done the right thing, push the button, come on home. I like to see God that way. The Bible reveals him to be that way. People are always quick to condemn somebody to hell. I'm saying uh, God's always quick to get him up there as fast as he can. I'm going to tell you this. This is the truth from the word of God. Even if you are caught in sin as a believer and you are sinning and sinning and sinning and you're overcome by that sin to such a degree that you just can't, you know, get out from beneath that. God would rather see your body destroyed. Are you hearing me? God would rather see your body destroyed and turn you over to Satan for the destruction of your flesh. Why? His, his primary goal is so that your spirit is saved in the day of the Lord. Did you get that? See? That's, that's God's attitude. Does that tell us how, how horrible hell must be? He doesn't want one person to go there. And if he has to turn our flesh over to Satan for his destruction, why? Because that's the thing. See, that rebels against God. It's not your spirit nature that rebels against God. Your spirit is born of God. It's the flesh that rebels against God. And even to those, that man in, in the Corinthian church that was committing incest, even to those that were committing that type of a sin, he said, turn his, spirit, his flesh over to Satan for its destruction that his spirit might, might be saved. There, now, there's a possibility he wouldn't repent. But I'll tell you what, if you're on a deathbed and you can't get out that bed, you're not going to be concerned about committing incest. You see, that body, your flesh, that instrument of sin then, has no opportunity to express itself. And you're left in a position that you make a decision. And your decision should be to repent and go to be with the Lord. But you know what? God in His mercy in that situation, as the man finally came to his senses quickly, he was healed. He was healed and accepted back into the church. Did you get that? So you see, God's on our side, isn't He? Now, I'm not saying you know, God is going to excuse everybody's sin, because I didn't say that. I said he'd rather turn your, your body over to Satan for his destruction because he loves you so much he wants you to be in heaven with him. See, he'll do everything possible to get you there. So he's not looking for a way to send us to hell. If he wanted to look for a way to send us to hell, he would have never sent Jesus to die for us because we all would have gone there then. So that tells us how much he loves us. So, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know no, that no, man, no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, 
that shows his love for us. And we talked about that. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We owe it to him to lay down our lives for each other. Beloved, this is true Christianity. This is what Christianity is all about. Can you imagine what the church would be like if everybody's saying, my primary goal in life is to see to it that I lay down my life for the brethren. I live to bless you. I live to hold you in high esteem. Can you imagine that? Everybody wants to be served, but God says, you be the one to serve. That's right. And if you live your life that way, you lay down your life to live the the love life of God through you. You know, you're going to have great rewards and glory. I know that for a fact. But here he is saying we owe it to him. It is a debt that we owe God. That word there ought means we owe it to him to lay down our lives for the brethren. See, and that's what he wants us to do. Well, just hold your place right there, if you would, please. We're going to go right back to it and we're going to close it there. But I just want you to see that scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul the Apostle said that the love of Christ constrains me. Notice Paul in chapter 4 and 5 is dealing with our spiritual condition that's been born of God. And the fact that we are still living in this world by faith. And that we're going to encounter daily conflict. Conflict that if we allow it to, could cause us to faint and wear us out spiritually, so to speak. But Paul the Apostle said, look, this light affliction is but for a moment. It works for us a far more exceeding eternal way to glory. While we look not at the things that are seen, but things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, the things that are not seen are subject to change. And he goes in chapter 5 and verse 1, he talks about this earthly house of our, this tabernacle. If it were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. And that's talk about our glorified state. We really want rid of this mortality that we have that holds us in bondage, don't we? You ever look in the mirror and say, I don't like some things about myself. Why do I do these things that I do? Why do I act sometimes the way I act? Why do I have some of these attitudes that I seemingly have sometimes? Have you ever done that? Yeah. Oh, I want to be more Christ-like. I want to be more God-like. Have you ever been, you ever been there before? Yeah. We've all been there before. We want this earthly tabernacle that causes us to groan. What are we groaning for? The creation is groaning to be re- redeemed from the curse, is it not? Yeah. The trees of the field want to clap their hands and rejoice because the curse is lifted from the earth. They don't want thorns and thistles and all that. Rotten fruit and all that. They don't want that. Listen, we don't want this mortality that we're bound to. Paul said, it caused me to do things I don't want to do and things I should do, I don't do. Why? Because of this outward man that I'm bound to. Right? Okay, this man on the inside wants to gain control. Well, he said, we're groaning to be clothed with our earth suit, our glorified body. But that's the end of it all. If we get that, we've got to leave here. If so, that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. In other words, the light that's in our spirit will be made manifest in our flesh also. So that once again, we wouldn't be this freak walking around who on the inside wants to serve God on the outside doesn't. 
See, your flesh doesn't want to do the right thing. The flesh is weak. The spirit's willing. Flesh is weak. But when that's swallowed up of life, we'll be perfect in perfect harmony in spirit, in soul, and body. Won't that be fresh? Won't that be wonderful? When you say, I'm going to read the Bible today because I want to, your mind will say, and I want to too. And your body will say, and so do I. <laughs> I can just see that. We're going to church today. That's your spirit talking. And your mind says, and so, I'm going to. And your body says, I'll be there. <laughs> not this struggle, not this conflict in here and the flesh trying to pull you in another direction. Do you see that? Amen. So... We go on reading and it says, now we, he that hath wrought, in verse 5, us for the sound same thing as God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we're always confident, knowing that while we're at home with the body, we're absent from the Lord. For walk by faith, not by sight. We're confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, and the word there is eagerly strive. This is what we're to be doing as Christians. We are to be laboring or eagerly striving. For what? That whether we're present or absent, we are accepted of Him. Whether I'm living in this state of mortality or not, I want to be accepted of Him. Well, why? Because in verse 10 it says, We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone, and there are no exceptions, may what? May receive the things done in His body, According to that he hath done, whether it be good or evil or bad or evil or worthless. Is that day really going to happen? Yes, it is. And let me just give you a preview. The things that we've done in a body that are bad are going to be burned up with fire. They will not withstand the test of fire. And that means all of our motives and attitudes and all the things that we've done that we know that we're wrong, they'll be burned up as a fire. The things that we've done that are good, we're going to be rewarded for. So you can see that even when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the things that were done improperly will be burned up as a fire. And you know, in 1 Corinthians, also it says this too, that you'll still be saved. Are you aware of that? Some of you looking at me like you're not aware of that. Hold your finger there. Don't forget your other ones over in 1 John. Don't forget them. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And it says in verse 12. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. Every man's work, verse 13, shall be manifest. For the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as of a fire. In other words, our rewards will be burned up. There will be no rewards for the things that are not done properly with right motives and attitudes. The works that we do in the flesh. See, there's a distinction. People shouldn't be sending everybody to hell for every little wrong thing that they do. Now, I don't know about you, but I like this. Going back to first, Second Corinthians chapter 5. I like this. I believe the things that are under the blood are not recorded in the book where God holds things against people. 
You can read through the book of your life when God opens up that book and, and you know all the things you've done wrong in your life as a Christian. You start reading through all that book and, you'll, and he'll be saying, you did this, 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 all these. And you say, now, Lord, I know I did some things wrong. And what about those things I did wrong? Those things that you have repented of? The blood of Jesus remitted them. And remitted them means they no longer exist. Under the Old Testament, they can only cover them. Can you imagine lifting up the cover and seeing all that sin? Because it was only provided for by the blood of bulls and goats. But we've been redeemed with the blood of Jesus. That remits our sin. And when you lift up the cover, there's nothing there. I said there's nothing there. Because it's under the blood of Jesus who remits our sin. It's all gone. Praise God. Okay, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now look at verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend ourselves not again to you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them with, with which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, see, they thought he was beside himself. Whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. The love of Christ can gain control over our lives. The love of Christ can grow in a person's life. We can develop in the love of God in such a way that we can do exactly what Paul did right here. Listen to the next verse. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. We're living for him. He died for us. He rose again. We're living for him. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. You know, if you know me after the flesh and I know you after the flesh, we're going to know a lot about each other's faults and failures. And shortcomings. Because we all have them, don't we? Absolutely. Imperfections, we have them. All of us. But Paul's saying, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we Him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. You're a new creature. A new creation. In other words, I know you after the Spirit, and you know me after the Spirit and when it comes to our faults and failures and shortcomings in the flesh, we let the love of Christ control us. Can you see that? We let the love of Christ gain control over our lives. And so we don't judge each other after, each other after the flesh. We see each other in the Spirit. And we encourage each other in the Spirit. And that's why Paul even said, when you find somebody who has missed the mark, a believer who has missed the mark and they're living in sin... He said, go to them in the spirit of meekness and restore such in one, ye that are spiritual. And also consider yourself, lest you fall to the same temptation. Because you're a human being just like they are. Right? Absolutely. And so we encourage each other as we love each other. You know, we don't hold it over somebody as if we're so ultra spiritual we could never miss the mark. 
As a matter of fact, the Bible said, if you think you're standing, you better watch out lest ye fall. If you're caught up in spiritual pride, in other words, oh, I'm never going to miss the mark. You know, you better remember you're clothed in flesh, my friend. Oh, like I'd never do that. Right. That person pulled out in front of you in the car. I'd never do a thing like that. Right. Until tomorrow. <laughs> you do the same thing you said you'd never do. Have you ever done that? Hold at somebody for doing something. You did the same thing a week later. Thought you'd never do it, but you did it. See, take heed. Lest those who think they stand, lest they fall. Also. So in other words, he's trying to admonish us to live in another realm. It's called this realm of agape love. This realm of divine love. Where we see each other in the spirit. And we are controlled by the love of God. And this newfound love begins to dominate our lives. And we even see sinners in a different light. You know, we see them through the eyes of compassion and mercy. And we know they're an eternal spirit being. And once they leave that flesh of theirs, they're going to go into into damnation forever. And we don't want that. Because God doesn't want that. That's why Jesus died. And so we do everything that we possibly can to, to present Jesus to them in, in such a way that they see him as a good God. They see God as a good God and they repent. And go on back to 1 John 3 and we'll close it right there. Because here we see something about making a decision to walk in love and its effect upon our faith lives. We want to live in this realm of love because God told us to. There's no question about that. And you'll find out that most Christians have, have a difficult time doing this. Because they've not been taught that this is the most important thing in their lives as a Christian. And also it's, it's important and imperative to their life of faith. And in some cases just have not been taught how to, by the Spirit, manifest love in their lives. In 1 John three sixteen, he talked about we owe it to him the love of each other by laying down our lives for each other. But in verse 17, Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells, dwelleth the love of God in him? My children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, if you're going to talk the talk, make certain you can walk the walk. Amen. Don't just talk it, but walk it. No sloppy agape. Talk the talk and walk the walk. Don't just say, I love you. Show I love you. God said, I love the world. He gave his life for the world. And there's no greater love than this, is there? So he loved us. He said it and he showed it. He demonstrated it. And that's what he's saying here. See to it that you don't shut up your bowels of compassion, but you love people. Now listen. Here's what will happen to the individual who decides to live in this realm of love with God. Hereby we know that number one, you live the love life. You know you're of the truth. I am of the truth. And isn't it the truth that makes us free? So Paul was saying, the love of Christ constrains me. You think I'm beside myself, but I know that when I walk in love, I'm untouchable by the kingdom of darkness. You see, that wasn't a weakness. It was a strength. People say, well, if I walk in love, I'll be a doormat. No, if you don't walk in love, you'll be a doormat to Satan. That's worth coining right there. But it looks like people are walking all over me. I'd rather have people walk on me than Satan. Because they can't hurt me. See? Live the love life and let God work in your life and keep Satan out. Okay? 
Then he says, we know we're of the truth. And secondly, when you live the love life, you'll assure your heart or persuade your heart before God. You know how important it is to have a, a confident heart before God? Jesus said, Father, I know you hear me always. Why? Because I do those things that are pleasing in your sight. Didn't he? You can go before the throne of God with confidence and you can say, I'm living the love life and therefore, Father, I know you hear me. You're confident. You're persuaded before God. You're not condemned. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. See, that's what he's talking about. God's greater than our heart. And so even if we miss the mark and, and we have this, this self-condemnation on the inside where our spirit man is condemning us or convicting us that we're not living the love life, well, God's bigger than our heart. Thank God we can go to him and repent and he'll take care of a heart situation, won't he? And he'll put us back in his grace with his mercy by the blood of Jesus and we have confidence once again toward God. Okay, now listen carefully. And in, in verse 21, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. Now you ready? And whatsoever we ask. Now we're talking about faith, aren't we? Whatsoever we ask, we receive. Nothing is automatically experienced. We ask, we receive by faith. Why? Because we keep His commandments and do those things that are what? Pleasing in His sight. Isn't that what Jesus said He did? He did. What are we saying here? Love has an effect upon our faith. And in Galatians 5, 6, it says, In Christ, neither circumcision or uncircumcision availeth anything. In Christ, what really matters is faith working by agape. And you thought that little bunny was the true energizer. See, that word worketh there is energized. Faith works by, or faith is energized by what? Agape. Agape energizes faith. That's the true energizer. Agape energizes your faith. And then your faith works so that you can receive from God. So if you don't live the love life, can you see what's happening? Your faith has no spiritual impetus. The energy factor is gone. Faith then can't work. Outside of love. And then we can't receive from God. But if you love, your heart's persuaded, your faith is energized. And what I ask, I receive. Do you see that? That's what he's saying. You're confident. Whatever you ask, you receive of him. Why? Because you keep his commandments. What's his commandment? Love each other as I have loved you. And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And love one another as he gave us commandment. And so you see its effect upon the human life. When a person is dedicated to the agape love of God and decides and determines to walk in it, it will have an effect upon his entire spiritual being. His faith will be energized. He'll have confidence in his heart. He'll know he is of the truth. He'll be persuaded to go boldly to the throne of grace and receive whatever it is he needs. Knowing that God will hear him and he'll have it. Amen. And so this is an introduction. We're going to start talking about these things. And I believe it will be a blessing to all of us. And we are going to fall in love all over again. Not only with God, but with each other. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. 
I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.